Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. After last week's teaching um, uh, on forgiveness, and the title was Unforgiveness, Where Mercy Can't Reach Me. That seems to be that title, Unforgiveness, Where Mercy Can't Reach Me. That seems to be somewhat of a sensational, extreme statement that's used just to get people's attention. I hope it does. But it, we, fact, we find, in fact, it, it, is, it is the case. And as I said, and I don't, know, I, I don't know better words to use, I'm not talking about the absence of mercy that introduced us to salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, and I don't believe, I've, I've heard many preach that they... I'm sure they have good reasons for saying that, that if we don't forgive, in other words, quoting a passage of Scripture we're about to, to read from the Lord's Prayer, uh, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. I do believe that this passage and that call is very much a subjective uh, call. In other words, as I forgive people in real time, Lord, I'm, I need to be released of the limitations of my own sin. Because the only thing we forgive, sin... Sin is ultimately against God before it was against you. See, um, the transgression, the hurt, the pain, the thing that we struggle to forgive was a transgression against us and is ultimately a sin if, if in fact it was a wrong. Did you know that sometimes it's perception? Did you know that? Sometimes your perception shifts and you thought, okay, oh, I thought they meant this or that. And some of us have walked for years in something that really doesn't need so much forgiveness as healing as it does clarification. But you won't get the clarification until you write the letter, send the text, or make the call that says, listen, I've, I've just been prompted and by God and I've carried something in my heart that I've discovered for me is a sin, and that is unforgiveness toward you. And I, I really need release toward, for that. And I, I, I want you to know that I'm, I, I just want to let you know that I forgive you for what happened. And if I've done anything other than not forgiving you, I ask your forgiveness. Did you know that? That that's an appropriate, it's not just a clever segue when you call or when you text or you write for to say, listen, I discovered there's sin in my own life and the sin was not forgiving you. And that sin, of course, harms anyone involved. So I've come to confess my sin and, and you don't even know it, but to ask your forgiveness for not forgiving you. And then uh, I want to let you know that I pray a prayer forgiving you. I've had a, I don't know, probably 10 or 15% of the time that people will actually say something back to me about it. People call and, or text or communicate with me and say, you know, I discovered something that what I thought was the case or their motive or the reason this happened, it wasn't even there. And, and they suddenly get a, a depth perception shift to discover it was not the transgression they thought, but that opportunity only presented itself because they were willing to initiate a phone call or a communication of forgiveness. Everybody get what I'm talking about? I'm not saying that's the majority of the time because now you're sitting there saying, dude, all you're doing is articulating the game that the person played on me when I called and said, look, I forgive you. And they said, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I wish I had time this morning to go through all of those scenarios, but I've received one question this week more than any other. But let me go ahead and finish that thought. When a person says, I don't know what you're talking about, a couple of things are true. Um, either number one, they are so deeply broken in their own brokenness, or they, they may have genuinely 
not remembered it or, or forgotten, and then you say, well, it happened this place and this time. Out of that can come a real sense of denial and then flipping it back around, saying, I have no clue what you're talking about, and just living in absolute denial, which stings. We've had that happen. I've had it happen. For you to, listen, I forgive you. I don't know what you're forgiving me for. I, I, I didn't do anything to you. You see, you don't, for your forgiveness to be effective, they don't need to either receive it or acknowledge it. Forgiveness, as we learned last week, listen to the teachings, 32 minutes long. It's worth every minute of 32 minutes. Go back. Last week, we ended with a practical and theological assertion. As a matter of fact, the very end of the teaching is where, uh, I've done it several times here throughout the course of 18 years, is where unforgiveness is essentially screaming in the face of God, the cross is not enough. And we build the reason for it. I'll share some of the scriptures quickly this morning to add some, some weight to that. But that is why... God can't forgive us subjectively, and why, while the, the power, the power of the blood of the Christ to save us from a place of sin and a life of sin, an existence of sin, and provide an occasion for eternity with him, I believe is in place. But when I mean a subjective, I mean real-time, moment-to-moment, are you aware that unforgiveness invites hell to have a place in my life, the force of hell, to have a regular place in my life. We looked at that from Ephesians chapter four, made reference to that, that's all in the teaching from last week. Um, the call outs from last week are, are, are all really important. I would love to blaze through those with you, but I'm, I'm gonna move on to the question I got this week more than any other. By the way, all of you who wrote, and I responded to all the emails I received, um, many of you wrote an, an interest for an extended study on Wednesday night, and we'll do that unless you keep sending me questions and hijacking the stuff I want to preach about right now, as you did this morning. It's your fault. <clears throat> Just want to be clear on that. But here's the question. How do I know when I am forgiving? How do I know when I am forgiving? There's, there's four that I like to go to. I'm going to talk about two of them this morning. If I have time to go back to the two in the Old Testament, we will, but I'll just reference them perhaps quickly. But it comes to us right from the Lord's Prayer, and it's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful sort of poetic moment in the Lord's Prayer. Um, let me make sure I'm not missing anything. Okay, let me set, us, set it up this way, and just a bit of a review. When there is a transgression against us, and I need to be real clear, two things are the result. And by the way, same way, if you'd like these notes, just send me an email, tom at newhopeonline, tom at newhopeonline, say, hey, I'd like those notes, I'll shoot them to you from last week, this week, whatever you'd like, okay? I am less than whole. When a part of me is ripped away, and I used the illustration of the little heart last week, and someone takes a piece of my heart. Again, please watch last week's teaching if you have not. Uh, I am less than whole, my life is disrupted, and there's an absence of peace. Now, those are important words in Scripture. The word peace from both, both testaments, if you will, uh, in the original languages, they suggest to us the idea of being fully satiated or, man, I just finished a big meal and I'm just full. Now, it's not accidental that the poetic notion of receiving the fullness of the Spirit uses similar language. 
Because when, when there is a fullness of the Spirit in us, there'll be a sense of, why do you think that Romans tells us that the, the kingdom of God, life in the Spirit is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit, okay? Righteousness, peace. There's peace. We'll get to righteousness in just a moment because it's important to today's study. But it's that sense of full satiation. When, I'm, when I've been done wrong, a piece of me has been taken away. Someone took it away, ran off with it. And I, I have emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially. And, and I could go on with the list. And you say, dude, what, what is financial? Because I've had to counsel business owners through the years, through 40 years of pastoral ministry, who partnered with another person or went into a venture or an investment only to have the rug pulled out from under them. And not only did it wound them here, but practically... Uh, in two or three of these results, it resulted in a significant amount of wealth that just went away. You say, did they ever get the wealth back? And one of them, yes, and two of them, no. But what all three found was there was a wealth of the soul that couldn't be purchased with money. And see, that's the mistake we made, that if I can get that back, the wrong, the this, the that, and beloved, I've got to be so careful. Last week, I, I really kept good fences and didn't chase any rabbits. I really need to be careful this morning. See, because I've just done a drive-by that you can't talk about righteousness without talking about justice. See, because watch these three words, and we need to get them, and it'll help the teaching. Holiness, I tell you this almost every week in some form, is the essence of God and God's ability to make whole anything. That's what holiness is. Now, if you grew up as I did in a holiness denomination, they told you that holiness was what you wore, where you went, what you did or didn't drink, what movies you did or didn't watch. If you went to the dance hall, bless God, then you were not a holiness person. Holy didn't live in you. And God forbid if you put on makeup, and my, by the way, I, I was always fascinated growing up on, on our, all of the holiness metrics were uniquely attached to women, not men. Okay, I won't get on that soapbox. And if you wear makeup, and they had one, I, in, in my lifetime, in the church of God denomination, in my lifetime, I'm not talking about when dinosaurs were on the earth. I was at a general assembly in the 80s where they finally voted that you wouldn't go to hell if you put on a wedding ring. See, because that was jewelry, and that's that ornament stuff that, that, that Peter writes about and all that stuff, and largely, you know, the bling, mostly, again, aimed at women. If you wear earrings, you're for sure going to hell. Now everybody wears earrings. Isn't that great? It's good to know that hell will be a non-gender restricted place. Everybody wears it. So if you've got an earring, you're going to hell. You're not holy. This is a joke. Someone will excerpt that little clip, play it, and that is not true. Holy, and, and every time this conversation comes up amongst pastors, they say, well, what we need is holiness. I always jump in and say, can you tell me what you mean by that? I want to know. Because when you dare, and I'm not saying I've arrived. Matter of fact, the study of holy will let you know you never will arrive. Holy is always more. You can never wrap your, the very term is meant to be that which you can't describe. I've got to say that because there's only one source that can make me whole, and that is the source that is infinitely whole. You can't deplete him. You can't make him less. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. As Elijah pointed out at the prophets of Baal, he doesn't even have to take a bathroom break. I love that. 
God, you, you people have said, well, you know, I just feel sort of bad about asking God. I, I asked for so much. You're right. You need to take a break because I'm sure you alone have worn out, worn him out. You know, so as if there's nobility and well, I just don't want to ask for that. You know, the, you know, some of the songs that are written, one of my favorite ones that we're singing again right now by Corey, somebody, nothing else. We sang it last week. He said, I'm not here for blessing. I don't want to ask for anything. And I'm thinking, dude, that's your loss. You know, I'm asking for everything. I'm here for blessing. You know, because if you say I want your presence, how many know you're asking? Well, oh, okay, enough. <clears throat> uh, in the Lord's Prayer, let's jump in there for a second, Gabe, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, I hope we have those. I know you know it by heart, but if you can see it on the screen, when we pray the prayer, if I invited everyone to, to be there, Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 9, pray then in this way, Jesus teaching, wish I had really more time to talk to you about the nature of this environment and what he's teaching. Because we call this the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually the disciples' prayer. Because they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said, okay, here's your prayer. This is our prayer. Everybody get that? He left it for us. This wasn't one that he created for him, okay? Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Everybody say hallowed. Hallowed. The first thing in this prayer, these five or six stanzas is compelling. This is the same hallowed word. Uh, could you go back to that, please? The word hallowed is the identical term for holy. So a way to pray that, back to verse nine, please. The way to, the way to pray that is our Father which art in heaven. It was the one you just had on there. That's the one, thank you, okay? Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. We don't want like putting it in that tense. Hallowed, we're gonna hallow. But holy is the essence, and the word name means the span of control or influence. He said the span of control or your influence is without limitation. It is holy, it's indefinable, inexhaustible. Everybody get that? So we start, Lord, I'm coming to you. And the good news is I get to call you Father. I love this scenario. Daniel writes, oh goodness. Our father is the supreme judge. How many know that courtroom is stacked against the adversary? That's really unfair on his part. Okay, anyhow, the, our father, who, holy is your name. We come and identify that you alone are the source of wholeness. Why? Because until I singularly identify that, I'm going to be looking for my wholeness in everything from relationships to sexuality to material stature, wealth, greed, whatever. I will look to make feel holy or in some way else. This is the only place it's found, and this is the opening declaration. Lord, I've come here as your son, first convinced of one thing. You alone are the source of holy. My wholeness, everything I will be, have been, can be, will ever think about being, it will flow from you. I can't find it any other place. That's the opening line of the Lord's Prayer. Line number two, it introduces us to righteousness. Because righteousness, as I've said here for 20 years, I love the phrase from one of my mentors, Pastor Jack Hayford. He said, righteousness represents the orderedness of God. The word righteous and righteousness each show up a little more than 300 times in the, in throughout the landscape of Scripture. It's the ability of God to bring order to something. In passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians 5 and Romans 5, he identifies righteousness that, that orderedness that comes by reason of salvation. And here's the thing. We, prior to meeting Christ, were on our way to hell and eternal chaos and disorderedness. 
But by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been brought near, or I like Romans 5, we've been made at one, we've been atoned. We've been made at one with God by the death of Jesus Christ. Well, who has the power to order my eternity and absolve me of sin and remove the disorder of sin from my life? Only one who is holy. Only holy can bring order. And so the second line of this is, Lord, not only have I identified you as the source of all my wholeness, but I am specifically inviting you. Go on to the next verse, Gabe, please. Verse 10. I'm specifically inviting that your kingdom would come and your will would be done right here, right here, just as the way it is being, just in the manner it is being done in heaven. That, beloved, is righteousness, the ability of God to order our life. What's interesting in the New Testament is there's not a verb form for either holy or righteous. That's fascinated me for a couple of decades. I often laugh about that. You say, what do you mean, what's the big deal? Well, see, in your Bibles, when you read the very few times that this word shows up in the New Testament, the word sanctified, that's the verb form of holy. And what I've done in my Bibles, uh, made notes, every time I read it, I insert the word holyized. Holyized. For you have been sanctified. Sanctified is the verb form of holy. That means the holyizer, the holy one, has encountered you and he said, You've been holyized. But see, there's no verb form for righteous either. The kaisune, it, it, it comes in the verb form, is translated justified. Justified. See, and which is a form of justice, and I know you've heard just as if I'd never sinned. Actually, that's not the limit of it. It's far more than that. But see, once we identify the source of holy and say, what can holy do for me? Holy can introduce you to the righteousizer. So when you read that, when you say, we have been justified, I love sticking in there, as in Romans 5, it says, you've been justified, other translations will see made righteous, which I really like, but I like my favorite word. Romans chapter 5, it says this, therefore having been righteousized, I like that word, everybody say it, it feels good in your mouth, come on, righteousized, doesn't that feel good? Look at the person next to you and say, did you know you've been righteousized? Therefore, having been righteousized by faith, we have peace, there it is, that fullness through God, Christ Jesus. Now, it is important that I introduce these because watch how the Lord's Prayer uh, then continue. And I, I need to talk to you about justice because the whole world's missing this right now. Justice is ultimately only found in God. Not in critical social justice, not in critical theory, not in critical race theory. They leave, they leave too many unresolvable things fixed in motion. Only the righteousness of God and the justice of God can satisfy the screams, cries, and, and, and problems of humanity alone. And that is, that's not just a preacher statement. I can, I can give you hours on that. Matter of fact, love talking about it. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here we go again. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. What is that? It's a cry for peace. Make me full. I want to be full. Get the poetry of this. Then here comes the ones we're going to, the two lines we're going to focus on. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That's in a real time basis. I want to experience real time, and I want to say again, I don't believe that this has to do with removing positional or eternal mercy from the equation. 
I do believe it has to do with subjective and present mercy being withdrawn. And you meet believers who live in the grip of unforgiveness. Last week's teaching articulates it with the two critical passages. They're tormented. They live tormented. They're negative. Their outcomes, their perspectives, their what they... And a lot of times, people don't even know they're carrying it. I've said this before. People have carried it so long that they're unaware that it's now a part of the subconscious. I'm pausing in a bit of frustration because I want to go back to Isaiah 61, verse 3 and 4 and show you how that works when it says that he'll rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up former devastations, repair ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. This, this, these 11 verses were the mission, are, were, was, is the mission of the Messiah. He would stand up, open the Bible, and say, read verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord has found me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, favorable year of the Lord, and day of vengeance of our gone. God, then he goes on with oaks of righteousness. Then he says these three things, and I want to say why this is so important. He says, I'll rebuild the ancient ruins. This wasn't in the notes. I know I'm talking fast again. Give me a break. The word means the days of our fathers. Are you aware that there are things that have happened in the days of your father that are not conscious recollection, they're subconscious? The word, that word, the rebuild the ancient ruins, it also means vanishing point, and it means a time not in mind of those living today. Those are the actual translations. There are things that have happened to you that are part of your subconscious from the days of your father that for all intents and purposes, they vanished from conscious recollection, but they're still there. God said it doesn't make any difference if, because, if you're coping. Watch this. Did you know people who hurt deeply? One of the coping techniques is extreme compartmentalization, which means I'm going to bury that in my subconscious. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to shove it back there. The good news is, is when you meet the Messiah, God says, I've come to rebuild the ancient ruins. I've come to rebuild those things that happened in the days of your father that you don't even recall that happened. Things that are hijacking you. You may not see them anymore, but I see them. And I'm here to heal them. Then he says, I'll raise up the the, the ancient ruins, raise up the former devastations. That word former devastation uh, uh, essentially boils down to this. Wrong decisions I made. Then it says the desolations of many generations and the little mnemonic we have for this, I'll give it to you, can send it to you, watch. Are are things not in mind, uh, things done to me, things done by me, and things done through me. God says, I heal them all. I'll heal them all. I'll heal them all. Somebody shout amen. I'll heal them all, okay? Now, I'm wanting to say that because it is possible for us to walk with that unforgiveness that it is so embedded that we can no longer see it ourselves. But guess who can call that out of us? The Holy Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit of truth can say, oh my goodness, there it was. Yes, that will happen, okay? Now, last week I talked about the power of the cross at the end of the message, and we're almost done here because of the one question I asked. And like I said, I want to deal with two things in particular. First Peter chapter one, I didn't read it last week. Allow me to read it to you this week. Several verses of scripture. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in the spirit. Fix your hope, hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. I love that. See, when we read the word lust, we often think sexual stuff, but it means a registered point of control or influence. And I love the way that, that this is phrased. Two times, uh, Paul, uh, Paul would write about it, and then, 
and Timothy, uh, uh, Peter would write about it. Paul would say uh, uh, youthful lusts. So he's essentially saying registered points of control or influence established in the days of your youth. Did you know that that's where many of them are registered? That's where many of the harsh words, the actions, the thing done to us, they loom larger than life. They burn themselves on, on, on a particular system of our brain that carries emotional memory, and it's there working. But we can be set free from that. Peter writes here, uh, don't be conformed to the former previous registered points of control or influence, which were yours in your, what, ignorance, subconscious? Do you see he's saying that? He said, you didn't even know it. You have to consider these passages of Scripture. But like the Holy One, everybody, here we are again, hallowed, holy is your name. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. That's a promise, not an indictment, beloved. We can be holy, progressively, made whole as our Father is made whole. You're not at the end of the journey. The journey never ends until we see him face to face. That continuing emancipation of the human soul will go on and on and on and on. That is why Paul was very clear to say, I don't arrive, I'll never arrive, but I press on for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I have no plan on arriving until I look him in the face, face to face, and he says, well done good and faithful servant. But until then, this holy thing is going to be constantly pushing out, growing, changing, morphing, healing the brokenness of my soul until I see him face to face. You shall, for it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Stand in front of your mirror tomorrow morning and point at yourself and say that. You say, that's silly. You've never done that. Absolutely, I've done that. You are holy. You shall be holy as he is holy. Point at yourself in the morning and say that a few times. Try it. See what it does. You shall, because we, see, we, we've so wrapped up holy with religious piety, we don't even understand the functional spiritual reality is. We don't want to say, you're, you're, you're holy. Where are my brothers? Let me see. Is this one of the Sunday we're out? Where's Chip? Chip's on. I don't see Chip. They must be gone this Sunday. Are, no, are you there? Okay. I don't ever call you out, and I wouldn't embarrass you, but my precious brothers, you've chosen to share the journey of addiction and recovery. And I want to look at every one of you right now in the face and tell you what God said. You're holy. You are holy. The echoes of your past are going to say, I'm not holy. I'm this recovering that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I love the way that I forgot the, I think it was Moody that coined that. I hate that statement. I am not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner who's holy. I'm, I don't, my primary identity, it doesn't ever say, none of the writers say I'm a sinner saved by grace. Paul would make reference to, man, if there was anybody that was undeserving, he only does it one time. It was me, but a holy God had mercy on me, and oh my goodness. I'm holy. Well, you're not the picture of what I had for holy. I can't help that. I'm his. Oh, okay. If you address as Father, which you do in the Lord's Prayer, the one who impartially judges according to to the, each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing, here it comes, you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Beloved, 
The Lord's Prayer says the only reason we can't forgive is because we've been forgiven. But if we don't forgive, we're ignoring the fact that we've been forgiven. I said last week, I screamed in the face of Christ. Now, I got to tell you two things that's found in the Lord's Prayer. They're poetic. Last week, I, I gave you, I guess, more of a theological background. But watch this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those uh, who are uh, debtors. I've always been fascinated with the what-if possibility that this comes right before the next line. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jose, are you back there? <clears throat> Come on, let's roll that out there. This is a short notice. Jose is amazing. I called him on Friday afternoon and I said, I need a door. He said, okay, what do you need? And then I told him and he said, okay. He got it. So he's awesome. Oh, are you just a one-man show there or somebody helping you? Oh, no, you got help. All right, I'll let them fool with that. They'll get it out here in a minute. While they're bringing the door out, you can just put it right in the center of the stage, Jose. While they're bringing the door out. Um, that's awesome. This first phrase, lead us not into temptation, the Greek phrase is isphero. And it means don't lead me into the room. Now I need to dispatch with something because when he prays, forgive us our debts and do not lead us into temptation, I will invariably get this question today. And it's a good question. Why is the Lord prayer asking God not to lead us into temptation when James says that God does not tempt us and because God cannot be tempted? And that's a powerful package to discover. Temptation is the longing for something I don't have. In the, simple, uh, 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 in the simplest sense. I can only be tempted by what I don't have. In other words, you can't tempt me by saying, uh, Tom, I've got a, uh, I got a worship t-shirt you can have. I'm, that's not tempting, I got that. Tell me you got a brand new truck you wanna give me? I'll be tempted by that. Okay. I don't have one of those. Everybody get what I'm talking about? So how can you tempt God? Because God is never without whatever. You can't tempt him and say, well, I can give you this. Okay, so then what does this mean? I do believe this Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and this line is a moment, if you will, of, of declared hyperbole when you're saying, Father, I want to declare my posture before you. And he phrases it in such a fashion that says, Lord, I'm so committed to not going. Ice Pharaoh means not to go in that room. It means not go in the room. Our colloquial adaptation of that would be just shut the door. But here's the problem. We say, I'm gonna, I'm, I realize I left a sentence hanging a moment ago, okay? I'll finish that. One of the things we love to do in, in unforgiveness is to regularly visit the room. We like to go in and look around. Oh yeah, I remember when they did that. That, they sure don't deserve my forgiveness. And I remember that. Oh yeah, that picture there. Oh. Oh, I especially remember that moment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We like to visit the room. And is it not just compelling that the poetry of the Lord's Prayer, immediately following the part about forgiving and receiving forgiveness, and he says, and God, I want you to know I'm so committed to that that the greatest temptation I'll have is to go back there again to unforgiveness. I need you to just close the door. I need you to just close the door and nail it shut. Anybody get what I'm talking about here? Okay. Lord, just close the door. Come out here, Jose, if you would, and, 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 and grab that. Now, we're going to make this, we're going to put a barrier over this door so it'll be nailed shut and you can't get into it again. And I like this. Do you need me to help you with that? That's a... 
Ooh, that makes a lot of noise. Now let me borrow the hammer now that you've done the hard work. There's something about this sound. that resonates with heaven. Because the same cross and the same sound for the cross that nailed your unforgiveness to it is the same cross we have to invite to nail our unforgiveness to it. And when heaven hears that, you see, there's a second word right behind that says deliver us from the evil one is actually the translation. It's an awkward term because the other terms in scripture that's translated deliver are the words for salvation. And salvation, all oh, those words mean I'm delivering you from something. But this word, rule my, means to draw to oneself. Funny word. It means to drag across the ground. I'll never forget 30 years ago reading it the first time and getting that picture in my head and saying, Father, uh, I, I, don't lead me into that room. Nail it shut. But if I, watch the poetry of it. But if I should try to, by the way, did you know, even a large guy, I can... I can get back in here. Wow. Wow. There's still all this stuff here. Man, you know, where they hurt me and this one, they did me wrong and, and all that. And, and they should, oh man, yeah, there it is right there. Can you listen to me right now? You will always have to go around the cross to get back in that room. Because God's already nailed it over the door. You will only be able to get in that room by going around the cross. So about five o'clock today, when you're thinking of that again, you had to walk right around the cross. And the problem with that reality is this. Because the poetry of this picture could be nowhere profound, more profound. That when I go into this room around the cross, I've just closed me inside with unforgiveness and the cross on the outside where it can do nothing for me. The cross isn't enough. Everybody get what I'm saying? You don't want to mess with unforgiveness. See, we, the, de the devil, and I need to talk about justice because that's the hook. The devil says it's an injustice. You can't separate justice from righteousness. Let me see what I've forgotten because I need to stop here. That's enough. That last word, rule my, is this one. Let me see. I need, what do I need? Someone, okay. Drew is there. I'm looking for a small person, Drew, so that you won't have to work hard. You're about to do something. Uh, let me see. Who is, I'm looking, okay. No, yeah, thank you for volunteering your brother. Here am I. Send my brother. Is somebody pointing at somebody right, by, right, right next to him. Is that Brennan? Did I get your name right? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to borrow you. Come here, son. Oh, you got white. Drew, come here. The word rule of mine, just stand right here and I'll come back to you in a second. The word rule of mine, you get to be Jesus today. You got the beard and everything. It works. I just had five redneck jokes that I wanted to make right there. <laughs> he would have loved all of them. 
Um, the, the words, other words for deliverance means rescue me from. Ruamai means draw me to. And that's huge. Please listen to me. Because it has to do with for, focus. Deliverance, salvation from something is one thing. And being rescued to something is entirely another. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver me. Draw me to yourself. That's what that word means. But it also means running, what's this abstract term? It means to drag across the ground. Okay, so you're trying to get in this door. You're Jesus. You've just prayed the prayer. Repeat it after me. Um, uh, lead me not into temptation. Louder than that. Lead me. Lead me not into temptation. But deliver me. But deliver me. From the evil one. From the evil one. And then you reach for the doorknob, okay? Now you come up behind him because you've just invited God. I want you to put your arms right around here, pick him up, and you kick and scream, saying, no, 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 there we go. See, that, that was impromptu. They could do better if I gave them three more tries. But the kicking and screaming part, um, thank you, gentlemen. No, I want you to do that again. And I want you to kick and scream even more. Grab him. No, I want you to get it. Reach for the door now, pick him up and no, kick no, him. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, okay? That's all I need. Thank you, gentlemen. Listen, Father, no, watch, watch, watch. Drag me to you, kicking and screaming. Well, I didn't finish. You know, I need to finish that. Drew, come back. Come here, son. Come back. Stand right here. No, no, I'm going to give you the, I'm gonna do the thing. Because at some point, when he drags us away, right now, his eyes are fixed on the door. But at some point, Ruamai does this. My attention is focused. And this is what the word means. How close I am to this, not how far I am from that. By the way, did you know that's one of the problems with the definition of holiness that I grew up in? They measured holiness by my distance from sin, not my proximity to holy. That will always result in legalism. Well, if you were holy, you would, no. There's one thing. He makes me holy. He is holy. Ruamai says, I'm not drawing you from that. I'm drawing you to me. Why? Because you said just a few sentences ago, you're the source of holy. You can order my life. Here's the primary thing that will stop it. I believe is unforgiveness. I want to be full, satiated. So Father, may you by the blood of the lamb and the cross nail that door shut and cover it where I can't come through. And if I ever reach for the doorknob, grab me kicking and screaming, drawing me away. And he does. But at some point he puts you down, put your hands on his shoulder. And does this, look him right in the face. No longer is he looking at that door how far he is. At some point, he's going to switch his view and look right into the eyes of the Savior. That's when holy happens. When holy happens, I don't measure, thank you boys, but I, I don't measure my effective walk in forgiveness by how far I am from that door. I may be only this far from it, but what I do know is that he's got me in his arms and I'm right in his face and I'm not interested in looking there anymore. I'm not measuring how healed or whole I am by how far I am from that door or the crack on the inside. I'm measuring my walk with him by my fixed focus on you and you alone. Father, erase everything else because you are holy and I can be too and I need that above all else. Now's the time to do what you wanted to do earlier, right there. Thank you, Jesus. Stand to your feet, please. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.